A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. I'm actually going to start with the text that we got in at the end of the show yesterday and I didn't get a chance to mention it and I promised that I would do it uh, today because I really will be interested in people's thoughts and comments on this and it's one of our listeners who contacted us to say Hi Trish, can you solve my problem please? I posted a confirmation card to my niece and I thought I'd get a phone call back to say thank you, no response uh, at all. Is it—is it gone? Do people not do that anymore? I.e. do people not acknowledge a gift in the post? Do they not pick up the phone or send a text to say, Auntie, thanks for that. You know, really kind of you to remember me. Now, firstly, can I just say my first thought when I saw the text was, are you sure it arrived safely? So allowing that it did arrive safely in uh, the post uh, and we'll assume that it has arrived uh, safe. Do children not ring anymore to acknowledge a gift in the post because I'm assuming a card for confirmation contained some money. I mean, confirmation and com- First Holy Communion, you know, we still very much have that tradition of giving money to young people. So I'm sure the card didn't arrive from the very generous auntie with nothing in it. So there was money in the card uh, as well. But it just, it got me thinking about, I mean, I certainly remember as a child and it would have been the year where we didn't, you know, you weren't ringing a lot of people. And certainly my grandmother was uh, living in England and I would never have had a birthday without the card. And she never, we, there was five of us and Every one of us received a birthday card well in advance. The card would arrive and you'd know it was your card and you couldn't open it until the day of your birthday. And certainly the day of your birthday didn't pass without sitting down and putting pen to paper and writing back to the grandmother to say thank you and, you know, fill her in on what I was doing and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, thinking back, I probably only wrote her once a year when she sent me the kind gift for my birthday. But... Uh, The point I'm making is I certainly would not have received something that wasn't acknowledged as indeed any of my siblings. It would have been the very same. And certainly with my own son when he was growing up, if he was certainly like that, if you receive something in the post from somebody who didn't live nearby, you know, he got on the phone straight away. I mean, it's even easier today because you can text somebody to say thanks a million if, you know, if you don't want to pick up the phone and talk. You know, some people can be oh, oh, oh I won't, don't know what to say to the auntie but you can send a text message. So I'm I'm taken aback if 
that card has arrived safe and sound with money in it for a little girl's confirmation and nobody in the family has gone to the bother to say thank you to the aunt that has uh, sent it. So I'm interested in your thoughts on that this morning. Is it a practice in your house with your children or was it always a practice if your children have has flown the nest, if they received something in the post, a gift, be it for a birthday, for Christmas, for Easter, in this case, it was confirmation for communion. And I know the communion kids might be a little bit too young. You might have to nudge them gently to make sure that they do remember to say a thank you. But was it, is it a tradition that you still is very strong in your house, that act of saying thank you to somebody for remembering you and for being kind and generous. Your thoughts welcomed on that. 1850-333-103. If you want to text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Now, coming up on the programme today, we got um, information this morning that yesterday evening, I think it was about six o'clock in the evening, a sign went up and I'm assuming on the front entrance to the Accident and Emergency Department at CUH saying that the department was currently under something they were calling a status black or a code black, which meant extreme congestion. And it was offering kind of words of warning to anyone who was coming through the door of the A&E. Status black in operation here. So be prepared and be prepared for very, very lengthy delays. Delays to the extent they're saying 12 hours plus. So you would think going by that that somebody who went through the doors of the A&E say at 10 o'clock last night and were met with that sign they could still be sitting on a plastic seat inside in the A&E department at uh, CUH I'm wondering if you got to the door of the A&E department and you saw this big sign saying status black would you just turn around and go home or would you would you feel oh no well I'm here and I mean I take it people only go to the A&E department if they feel that sick that they, you know, you're not just turning up for the hell of it rather than wait and go to the GP in the morning. In many cases, it is the GP or if it's an out of our service South Dock that will send you to the A&E department and they don't take that decision likely because your GP and the doctors at South Dock all know the pressure that the A&E department is under. So they're not going to send you just on a, a whim. So you take the majority of people are turning up at the A&E department because they genuinely need to be seen. And we're getting reports that there was eight ambulances lined up waiting to try to get into the A&E department. So God help us if somebody had a real emergency and needed an ambulance. I don't know what happens if all the ambulances are tied up with a patient in the back waiting to be admitted into the A&D department. It is a system that simply is not working. We're going to be discussing it today. And your thoughts and comments welcomed. Have you been at the A&D department lately? I'd be love to hear from somebody that might have been there yesterday yesterday evening when this status black warning went up. Uh, And certainly I've never heard of a status black before now. That's not to say that it hasn't happened before. So I'd be interested to hear from anyone who was at the hospital on a previous occasion where yes it was a status black and how did it work out? How quickly did they get through people? Uh, did you just give up? Did you just say well, I'll, I'll go home? I might as well I'm not I'm not going to sit here and uh, wait. We're going to talk about childhood obesity on the programme today. And we are talking about it and linking it to Easter eggs. And I suppose trying to get the message through to people, we need to stop and think about the number of Easter eggs that we're giving to our children. 
and maybe do it in time with less than three weeks to go. If you haven't purchased your Easter eggs for your children yet, do you need to stop and think how many Easter eggs are your children going to get? And I'm not solely putting the blame on parents here because I mean, I I started off by mentioning that very generous aunt sending money in the post to her niece on the confirmation. You will have aunts buying Easter eggs and uncles buying Easter eggs. You have very generous and kind hearted grannies and nanas and grandmas and granddads buying Easter eggs. And therein, I feel, lies the problem. Are too many people buying Easter eggs for children and because there are so many Easter eggs out there. I mean, you can go into your local corner shop, you can go into your garage, you'll go into any of the large supermarkets, any of the small supermarkets, go into any of the discount stores. Everybody is selling uh, Easter eggs. There just seems to be too many Easter eggs and is the temptation then because they're selling them at very reduced prices. One supermarket already had them at a euro each when you got your, but you couldn't buy just one for a euro. You had to buy five for five uh, euro. And, and we're just, what are we doing to our young people? I mean, if we give our children all of these Easter eggs, you can't give them to them and then say, oh, you can't eat all, all of them. So, I mean, obviously the thing is at the start, don't give our children so many Easter eggs. So I'd love to hear from parents. How do you get around that? Do you speak to the grandparents? Do you speak to the aunts and uncles? Do you speak to the godparents and say, please, don't buy any Easter eggs this year. Whatever Easter eggs my children are going to get, leave it to, to mum and dad to buy and let they be the only Easter eggs. I mean, certainly, again, going back to when I was growing up, we, you got the one, maybe two Easter eggs. God, you were doing well if you got two Easter eggs at the, the, at the very most. But I certainly would know then with my own son uh, growing up because he was kind of the first of the nieces and nephews. I mean, the first year he was born, it was ridiculous. It was all the adults at the Easter eggs because he was only a baby, but everybody felt they had to rush out and buy an Easter egg. So it's, it's we the adults are we to blame. What do we do about the amount of Easter eggs that our children are, are eating and the amount of sugar that's contained in these uh, Easter eggs? We'll then talk with the young Cork mother who shares the story of her autistic son. He's six and a half and no room at the inn comes to mind. There's no school place for this little boy who's been left at home. And of course, the longer he remains at home, now he's obviously getting home tuition, but home tuition and and listen, home tuition can be brilliant and can really work for some children. But for a child that needs help with socialising and needs help with how to socialise and how to make friends, That's a very isolating situation to put a young boy in and expect him to progress to the best of his ability if he's on his own with a one-on-one adult in a home tuition situation. So we'll speak with this mother and her frustration trying to find and trying to get her son a school place. And it is a Tuesday, so Joe Heffernan will join us in the final hour of the programme. And Joe is looking at the numbers of young people who are suffering from depression. This seems to be on the increase. Now, I don't know if this is to do with the sign of the times and what's going on uh, with young people. Was depression always there? and Was it just not diagnosed? Are more young people getting diagnosed with depression? Or do we just have a better awareness around uh, depression? And is that the reason that we're seeing so many young people presenting uh, with depressive episodes? 1850 333 103. John Paul takes your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 086. 
Uh, we're going to be talking about what's going on at Cork University Hospital with the status black that went up last night. Now, we're trying to get confirmation as to is the status black still in operation, uh, which means extreme congestion. And we were, we've been told by one source that there was eight ambulances at one point waiting to try to get into the hospital. The congestion was so bad. So they were all backed up. And I was making the point, what would happen if there was an emergency and one of those ambulances were need, was needed? Well, somebody says, Hi, Patricia, just to let you know, that paramedics that were supposed to finish at 8pm last night finished at 3am in the morning. Why? Because they were waiting with patients at the A&E department. Please highlight this. Uh, no ambulances were available for emergency calls then because those all those ambulances were tied up. Goodness me. And the exhaustion level as well. Because I'm assuming that the paramedics that were on that shift, they're 12-hour shifts, so they would have gone on at 8am yesterday morning. So you think up at 7 to get ready to get in for your shift and they finish at 3. And that's only 24 hours by the time they would get home. I mean, you know, assuming that they have to drive home, it could be 4 o'clock before they got into bed. And, you know, they were, and having been up since 7 in the morning, that's just absolutely uh, crazy. Okay, hi Patricia. I actually was up in CUH yesterday when they put up that sign saying status black. I have never seen the A&E department so busy. There were people sitting all over the floor and out as far as the main door. Wow. Yeah, we're trying to get confirmation actually from the HSE as to have they issued a status black before? Because I certainly never remember talking about a status black here on the programme. Not to say that it hasn't happened before, but I'm just wondering has it happened before and at what point do they decide we're now status black do you know is it done on a head count is it done on what we've got now people sitting on the floor and people out as far as the main door and we know of eight ambulances parked outside you know what's the criteria for a status black 1850 Children saying thank you if they receive a gift in the post and acknowledging that somebody has done something kind or has dropped a gift into them. I mean, you assume if you hand a child a gift, they will say thank you. But what we're talking about is something arriving in the post. It was an aunt sent a confirmation card to a child for the confirmation and she's heard nothing. No, thank you. Absolutely nothing. And she's wondering, is that day gone? Do we just, do you just do the send the gift but forget about getting a thank you from anyone because it's just kind of an old fashioned tradition kind of a thing is what we're asking today. Maura says would the parents not make sure that the child acknowledged that card from her aunt and make sure that she sent some kind of an acknowledgement to say thank you. Manners in Ireland says Maura are gone. Look at the anger issues even while people are out driving. It's all linked together. And Irene says Patricia, sure God love them. Should they have no phones to reply? Communication and manners are literally gone out the window in this country. So Irene is not surprised that that woman didn't get any acknowledgement from her confirmation card. And Mary says on the issue of sending cards, I never get a text or a phone call to say thank you. It's so rude not to say uh, thank you. So I'm assuming it's happened a few times to you, Mary, when you say that you never get a text or a phone call, uh, there's, there's, a, there's an easy way out of that. Stop sending the cards. I mean, if someone is not going to acknowledge by way of a text or a phone call or a letter or a little thank you card back, then, you know, scratch them off the list of people that you want to send cards uh, to. And actually somebody else... Um, 
unaware there was another text in somebody else was talking about on the same topic I just can't find it now but it was to do with never getting an acknowledgement from weddings somebody going to a wedding and not getting an acknowledgement oh there it is Margaret sorry Margaret in Newmarket has been to a number of weddings and not so much as an acknowledgement or a thank you card for a wedding present I mean that was very much the tradition that when you got your invitations printed and then you had the evening invitations. You got your thank you cards printed, didn't you, at the same time? Because usually they were all on the same vein. They, you know, whatever kind of pretty picture or flower or embossment was on your invitation was normally on your thank you card as well. And I know the last number of weddings that I've been at, a nice tradition is that they'll use a photograph from the wedding and make it into uh, a card. But I have to say, I'm with Margaret. Not everyone, I haven't, not every wedding I've been to have I received in the last, say, f- uh, five to ten years. So maybe that's a tradition that's dying out as well, that people, I suppose, acknowledge you on the day or when you they receive the present, they say thank you to your face or whatever. But do brides and grooms, maybe they're just too busy, that they don't go to the time, they don't go to sending out the uh, thank you cards. I only received one the other day, actually got a lovely uh, thank you card from a wedding that I was at last year. And what I thought was particularly nice, and it was one of those ones they used a picture from the day itself. But what I thought was lovely was enclosed in the card was a picture taken of me with the bride. She just sent in an, an extra photograph. And I don't know if everybody got got that or not, but I was, thought it was really nice. thought it was a really, really nice uh, touch. But anyway, let's put that out there. Has Is that a tradition that's stopping now? People actually acknowledging and saying thank you for wedding gifts. And on Easter eggs and people eating too many Easter eggs, Bridget said, I have three grandchildren and I always give them a book or an Easter hat to wear, but I never give them Easter eggs. Uh, another type of present is what I opt for. Never an Easter egg. So that might be a suggestion for other grandparents out there that the buying of the Easter eggs to the mammies and the daddies and buy an alternative gift. gift. This is the Court Today replay on C103. With Easter Sunday now less than three weeks away, the Royal College of Surgeons is advising people to eat Easter eggs in moderation, especially children, bearing in mind that figures from safe food show that one in four Irish children are overweight or even obese. Joining me from safe food, Joanna Caldera. Uh, Good morning to you, Joanna. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. You're welcome to the programme. Now, the problem with Easter eggs is the amount of sugar they contain. Isn't that... Absolutely. Talk to me about that. So about... uh, It's your number one ingredient, sugar, when uh, when you look at the list. And, um, I mean, you have huge Easter eggs at this stage. You have the extra large ones that could have 250 grams of uh, of sugar. That's 63 spoons. (sighs) It's about what an adult should have within uh, a 10-day period. And these became very, very affordable. Uh, we are actually removing the idea of seasonality out of the Easter eggs. They may be on sale from January. They're very affordable. Safe Food did some research, and about one-third of, uh, of the offers, one-third of products on promotions would be high in, uh, in fat and sugar. 
uh, we are not trying to demonize Easter eggs, and uh, definitely not before Easter. But we we want to 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 bring them back to the season of Easter, to the to the week, to, to the Easter week. Yeah. We don't want them to to become um, something that we normalize Easter eggs or treats, and should be treated like that. And and we tend to to normalize treats at this stage, and it's something that. That we need to to combat or uh, to combat, and we need to to remind ourselves and be mindful and check labels and and uh, make them a, an occasional treat. Yeah, because I mean, are, are the shops to blame here? I mean, they seem to stock too many Easter eggs. You go into any supermarket, discount store, even I was in a garage and they had them on mm. sale. I mean, some of the supermarkets they're floor to ceiling the amount of Easter eggs. We we all have a responsibility. We all have a responsibility. It's a public health issue, and 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 of course, we all we all have a, have a role to play. At the same time, supermarkets and petrol stations and convenience stores are, are there to to make money, and one can only assume that there is a lot of profit to be made with the with this type of products. Um, and we know that there is there uh, uh, there is nothing we can do about that about the decision that the supermarket makes in relation to what products they put on uh, on promotion. That's why we are trying to make everyone aware and uh, and trying to to, to, to remind people uh, to to look for the labels, to choose smaller eggs, and to make sure that they agree uh, on, on on a small number of eggs to give to a child because it's. We give them as parents, we give them as grandparents, as friends. The godmother gives an Easter egg, and the child may be uh, may end up with a, with three, four, five, or even more. And and that's not the child's fault. And then it's hard for the parents absolutely, to take absolutely. the eggs away. So I think the conversation now, with with just under three weeks to go, have that conversation with the absolutely. grandparents and the absolutely. aunts. Absolutely, it's it's all of us. We we all. We all have a, 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 a part to play on this. It's all of us. Of course, it's not the child's fault. And it's very, it's very hard to, to tell them that they can't because mm. they are exposed to, to these products everywhere. They, are, they became very, very available. Uh, it's about trying to bring that magic back of the, of the Easter hunt and the Easter egg. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and they they can be so so cheap. I mean, I was making the point um, earlier when in advance of you coming on the program that you know one of the supermarkets was were doing five Easter eggs for five euro mm. uh, a few weeks ago. That was you know one Easter egg was cheaper than a bar of chocolate. And that's the issue. They, they, these products became very affordable, and but size wise, uh, they they can be huge too. So uh, um, we have to be we have to be uh, mindful and careful. And I'm not saying that children shouldn't have Easter eggs. I, I'm definitely buying one for my kids, uh, but uh, but they should have one or two. And That's enough. The, yeah. the, there's no need to buy the large and the extra large. Um, again, the number one ingredient is sugar, and we need to to bear that in mind. It's about half of their of their weight in sugar, to be honest. Half of the of the product's weight. So, if you have a an Easter egg that is about two hundred grams, uh, more than one hundred grams of that could be sugar. My God! I mean, and you wouldn't sit your child down and start spooning teaspoons of sugar into you them. Would You'd be horrified at, at the thought definitely of that. Not. And my other big bugbear, I have to say, around Easter eggs is the packaging, the amount of packaging, and and you know we're drowning in plastics. 
and some of them are not just an egg anymore. It's an Easter egg product with the, uh, extra chocolate, and some some of those may have a team. Um, you know, they, they, they're they very smart. They may have the child's uh, favorite cartoon, uh, and they do get excited about that. Uh, yeah. But that, that's a good thing. But let's keep them excited about getting one Easter egg and going for one Easter hunt. It's about moderation, just like with any other food. It's about moderation. As I said, we're not demonizing Easter eggs. We're not asking parents not to give their child an Easter egg. It's, it's about moderation. Do it in moderation. I mentioned in my introduction that your, your figures suggest one in four children overweight or obese in, in Ireland. In Ireland, um, yes. Joanna, why? Why is it happening? It's everything. It's the environment. It's our lifestyle. Uh, it's the portions that we eat. It's normalizing foods that are uh, high in, uh, in in fat and and and, and sugar, for example. Um, those became more uh, more of a routine into our lives and not treats anymore, as we used to call them. We move less. We eat more. The size of our plates are uh, are increasing year over year. The the, the portions that we are served are are are, are big uh, and all of those play play a part on to, uh, on the obesity crisis. Yeah, and do some parents find it difficult to recognise that their child's weight is not a healthy one? Mm. There, there is there, there is a lot there is there is stigma around around our weight. Um, it's it's a very complex issue, uh, and we need to make sure that. We address it as uh, it's a disease, obesity. It's it's a disease, and that's how we have to to see it. You know, uh, it's uh, it should not be uh, stigmatized, and and it's not it's not just about personal choice. There's there's a, there's an environment. There's there's different roles in different parts, and and it's a very complex issue. It's it has different dimensions. It's not just about our our options and just about what I choose to eat. Mm. It's a very, it's a very complex issue. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But, but to make sure that we try to keep our children on uh, on the right track with with a healthy with a healthy weight and a healthy lifestyle, it's definitely giving them it's definitely giving them a structure and the right foundation for their uh, for their adult life. Okay, all right, um, Joanna. Have a happy Easter. And Thank will, you so will, much. Will you, have you an Easter, will you have an Easter egg yourself? I'll share one with my husband. <laughs> well done. Well done. This <laughs> Thank, a, thank you. you. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, Joanna. Joanna. Uh, Caldiria, who is with uh, Safe Food, just offering words of advice and warning on go easy on the Easter eggs this year. I think Bridget's advice was the best. Bridget the who is a granny of three, has never bought an Easter egg. She buys them little gifts uh, instead and they'll have the gift long after the Easter eggs are gone, that's for sure. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Boss Aaron are advising customers of the Cork City Route 202 that due to an incident on the old Blackrock Road at Janeville services have been diverted via Monaghan Road. Okay, that's on the uh, 202 in the city. Hi, Martina here. Join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for Drive Time, where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information. We'll spread some positivity with our feel-good story and song of the day. And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. 
103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 People visiting the A&E Department at Cork University Hospital yesterday evening were met with a sign stating the department had gone status black, which means extreme congestion. Sinn Féin West Cork Councillor Paul Hayes says this is now a new low for our health service. And he joins me. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Patricia. Now, have you been aware of a status black operating before at, C- at the at CUH? I haven't, to be honest with you, Patricia. Um, I know I, I've been up there uh, often enough and, and been, you know, been made aware of different situations up there and long waiting times. But no, I, I've certainly never seen it as get, get as bad as uh, as this code black or status black, as it's called. So yeah, it certainly is uh, a, a new low, as I said. You know, in a in a very 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 bad situation already. And they basically were were trying to get across to people who arrived at the hospital, you're better off going home. I mean, they were saying that the current wait time, 12 hours, and they put in brackets, average, and is likely to lengthen overnight. So somebody who entered the hospital, maybe at 11 o'clock last night, that's 12, nearly 12 hours ago, they're possibly still sitting on a chair somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And again, um, I, I put a piece up on my own page here that I was aware of a number of cases even um, before the weekend and over the weekend uh, of people that were absolutely so frustrated with waiting, as you say, six to eight hours. Uh, one particular gentleman I'm aware of there went up last Friday. He had been waiting for nearly seven hours and he'd gone up to the desk, as you do several times, just wondering had he been forgotten about or whatever. And uh, no, they said, no, look, we're, we're taking it on a rotation basis. told him there were 16 people uh, in front of him yet. And that if, if anybody else had come in, you know, in an ambulance, an emergency case, that they would skip the, the queue as well, naturally enough. Um, and this person had been sent up there genuinely, you know, with concerns and a letter from their GP saying, yeah, you're, you, you deserve to be there and you need to be checked out. So it wasn't as if, you know, it was, you know, it was the flu or a cold or something. They were there for genuine reasons. And as I said, they, were, they became so frustrated at, at that point that they rang relatives uh, to have them collected, you know, but they've left. And that's yeah. happening all the time. That's actually yeah. reducing the numbers up there because the amount of people, I don't know what the percentage on the number of people that walk out the door, but certainly a, a, a number of people just give up after a certain period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you, you'll find a lot of people, you know, that maybe live in the, like the West Cork or wherever and they know that they're, you know, they have a long drive home or whatever or they don't want to leave it till all hours before ringing a relative or, you know, a family member to come back up and collect them. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm certainly aware that that happens numerous, numerous times mm. that people just say in, in, in the A and E, look, okay, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it and I'll try again tomorrow and, and start the whole process all back over again, you know. Uh, yeah. And you know, on this status black sign that went up, it states if your condition can wait or be treated elsewhere, for example, by a doctor injury unit or private hospital, please consider that option. I actually think it's laughable when they say if it can be treated by a GP. The majority of the people sitting inside in an A&E department has been sent there by a GP. There are very few people just to turn up themselves. Certainly, yeah. I mean, we've we've heard that advice being given out before, for sure. Like, you know, that, and I think it was maybe a case back then that people were just presenting at A&E, you know, from, from minor ailments. But I think most people will now go to the doctor first. And again, the, the GP will check them out and say, look, OK, look, I'm worried about you. Uh, you know, you need to get up the road or ring an ambulance and send them up uh, through through A and E. But there there are 
there are cases even, you know, mental health cases, you know, if you want to enter the, the, the CAM system, the, the child and adolescent mental health um, services, you, you have to go through A&E, you know, which is which is a daft situation. Um, you know, so certainly there needs to be progress in eliminating people like that and taking, you know, those kind of people out of the system. And again, where we are in West Cork here, it, out of hours or weekend, um, you know, if there's an accident or if a, if a child falls, you know, playing a football or a rugby match or whatever, might might have a broken arm or whatever, they're having to pass a perfectly good hospital, the likes of Bantry Hospital, you know, to, to drive to Cork City and add to themselves to the queue above. Yeah, and it's, it's as, in, as people in North Cork have to do with, with Mallow Hospital. Yeah, again, like, in, I, I mean, certainly, look, you know, the expertise has to be in one place like CUH, but, I mean, for, for, for potential, as I said, broken bones or minor things, possibly, again, that should be outsourced to primary health care centres or, or, as I said, the likes of Bantry or Mallow. And what also really worried me about that status black sign that went up on the door, it stated, if you or your loved one's condition deteriorates while you wait, please alert the triage nurse. I mean, it's almost like they're afraid somebody's going to drop dead while they're sitting in, in waiting to be seen. Which, which they have done. I mean, sadly, over the last number of years, we, we've heard of cases like in elderly people just literally passing away on, on a trolley in a corridor. Like, and that, that's absolutely appalling. Like, I mean, you know, especially older people, you know, they've, they've spent their lives and paid high taxes. And you, you'd say in this hour of their lives, you know, that the public services should be there to look after them rather than this thing, you know, it's almost like a, a, a privatisation agenda by the government to say, look, well, look, as we know, there's fantastic other facilities around Cork and, and, and in the city, you know, that you, you, you'd be in and out within an hour, but, like, you, you, you'll pay handsomely for it, like, or, or you have to have uh, private health care. So that's kind of, you know, it's almost like a, deliver, a deliberate policy to kind of almost run down our public services to drive people towards... You know, having to pay for healthcare, like, and you know, that, that's becoming like the state. Then, like, and it's a case of, you know, if if you have money, you're you, okay. you'll be you seen. But but I mean, it's it said on that that notice last night. If you can go to a private hospital, that's only people with money or people that have yeah. got healthcare can go to a private hospital. By the way, we have contacted the HSE. I mean, I particularly want to know is the status black is, is, is it still in operation? And I also want to know at what point do they decide that an A&E department uh, becomes status uh, black? Uh, we've sent it on to the HSE and I'm told they've sent the details to the South Southwest Hospital Group who look after CUH and they'll revert back to us. So I don't know if we're going to get anything before the close of the programme. Stay there because Con McCarthy wants to get in on this uh, discussion. Uh, good morning to Con. Good morning. You, you were part of the West Cork Alliance uh, group that fought so hard to keep the A&E opened in Bantry. I was indeed, Patricia. I suppose at the time, Patricia, we were concerned here in West Cork about the closing of various services, including guard stations, small schools, school transport, etc., home health. Look, we took protests to Dublin. We were con- we were particularly concerned on health. Our issue was we felt that the, that the capacity when they, when they were closing the 24-hour A&E in Bantry and the 24-hour A&E in Mallow, we were concerned that would the capacity be in, in, in Cork to handle uh, the volume of people that were coming through. Now, to be quite honest, we were ridiculed at times on the radio by senior politicians and look, at the time, if you remember, Patricia, we fought, the campaign was fought here, uh, Frank Fahey in, in Skibreen would have spearheaded it 
to actually hold a number of, of ambulances in West Cork. Mm. Now, last night, with eight ambulances tied up, struggling for a number of hours, and this is not the first time we've heard reports of four, five, and six ambulances backed up at a given time. That reduces the number of ambulances available to Cork. In, in return, then, or to handle this situation, they will bring ambulances in from Kerry to try and cover emergencies here. So not only is Cork County being affected, but the surrounding counties are being affected. And we feel that the closing down of the 24-hour E&E in Bantry and in Mallow was actually... And I remember all those interviews you did, we spoke about you were funneling everybody up to CUH, it would be a bottleneck, we'd have people queuing out the door, which is exactly what happened last night. I'll just quote you a line here from the Prime Government. Uh, in page 61 of the government, they are saying we will develop protocols to enable ambulances to take uh, patients to the most appropriate rather than the nearest ED. And, and that is really uh, that is really the kernel of the problem, is that they have, uh, they have deemed uh, a, a best practice to take people to COH and, and they, have, they have actually really, to be quite honest, downgraded Someone has suggested, would the government or the HSC ever consider opening the medical assessment units at night? It's yeah. ridiculous that they, you, they can only be accessed from 8 in the yeah. morning to 6 in the evening. They're fine units yeah. at both Mallow and in uh, Bantry. Paul, has that ever been considered that they would open the medical assessment units 24 hours? Um, well, I, I don't think so, to be honest with you, Patricia. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with Con there. I, I, I was, I think, on, on a number of... Um, uh, protest uh, trips to, to Dublin with him, um, and again, yeah, we do. Okay, we've lost, we've lost Paul. There, Con- <laughs> are you back with this, Paul? I am. Sorry, yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. yeah. Guanya, you were on a number of protests with Con. I, I was, yeah, back in the day, highlighting this because we could see this coming down the track, unfortunately. And as I said, like if if people out in the, the peninsulas, like the 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 bear and mizzen and, and the sheep's head peninsulas absolutely miles and miles away like ambulance drivers would tell me that they're an hour and a half under blue lights as they'd say flat to the mat you know trying to get from the, the, the extremities of West Cork to get to CUH and they have to pass pass Bantry you know if there's a car accident or anything after hours that weekend absolutely crazy stuff like and I mean these are simple solutions you know again you, you have fantastic facilities like the Clan and others uh, other community hospitals for step down beds or whatever, get more of those open so that people aren't above in CUH you know, and, and freeze up beds up there you know, so there's okay. loads of different uh, possibilities and, and avenues but just I don't think the political will is there to start it Okay, we've got to leave it there, it's an issue we will come back to uh, again Con, thank you uh, for contacting us and uh, Councillor Paul Hayes, uh, thank you for joining us, 1850 I can see uh, some comments coming in that we will get to after 11, John O'Donovan though has been on to say this start is black Cold black that we've never heard of before. He says it comes and it was it's for high intense hospitals in the states with very large populations. He agrees with us. He's never heard of it being used before here uh, in Cork, or indeed I wonder anywhere in this country. But he said if you look back to the North and South Infirmary. They, there, the nuns for, for all their faults ran these hospitals like clockwork. If you look at the doll today, you have ministers questioning legislation already passed to do with drink driving. And then we have a Taoiseach writing to Kylie Minogue. <laughs> 
Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Uh, what a circus we've become. All right, that's from John. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Let me catch up on a lot of uh, texts, huge number of texts and calls coming into the programme this morning. Let me take a look at some of the uh, texts uh, coming in. Firstly, before I get to some of the commentary coming in, a listener has asked me to give a mention and a shout out to a fundraiser that's on on behalf of Friends of Skibbereen Hospital. They're holding a monster. €1,000 bingo in the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen next Sunday the 7th of April 4 o'clock in the afternoon and they're fundraising to buy a bus for the Friends of Skibbereen Hospital and you please ask to support will be a fantastic event all are welcome fabulous prizes and the raffle tickets and all of that and uh, they're hoping lots and lots of people turn up so next Sunday afternoon 4 o'clock West Cork Hotel if you'd like to go along to that monster bingo now some of your thoughts coming in on the status black this was the sign that went up at CUH it went up I'm looking at the sign it went up yesterday 1st of April 1800 hours so 6 o'clock Yesterday evening, someone at CUH decided this is the worst it's ever been, I'm assuming, because everyone seems to be of the the, the view and belief. We're trying to get confirmation from them. Have they ever gone with a status black before, which they describe as extreme congestion? The notice said that the current waiting time, this was at six o'clock yesterday, six, was 12 hours in brackets average. And is likely to lengthen overnight. And obviously they went on to apologise for the situation and, and they're doing their very best for patients. But they basically were trying to get people to say, move along here, nothing to see. Go somewhere else. If at all possible, please go somewhere else. But don't come into the hospital. I don't know how many people looked at that sign and did walk away. And you, you will never get those kind of figures as how many people just took it on board and say, OK, I'm, I'm going home, I'm, I'm leaving and maybe wait and go back tomorrow, meaning now, today. And I don't know. And we're still trying to find out if this status black is still in operation at CUH or was it removed at some point overnight or at some point this morning? Some of your texts coming in on uh, this. Texter says, Morning Patricia, on your subject regarding waiting times at the emergency department at Cork University Hospital, we never hear about the numbers waiting in Mallow General Hospital or how many are waiting on a trolley to get a bed. It must have really good management staff. And I'm getting John Paul to check out because Mallow's never on the list of hospitals and Mallow and Bantry would be similar hospitals and you'll often hear not often, but you will hear in Bantry of people waiting on trolleys to get a bed. But you're right. I never hear it. I don't, I don't know if they're not counted and if they're not counted, why? And are they not counted? Because as you said, there's nobody waiting on trolleys. So we're trying to get clarification on that. Thank you for your uh, point. Also coming into... Uh, hi, Patricia. You're talking about ambulance drivers. What about the doctors? doing 24-hour shifts, which can turn into a 25-hour shift. It can turn into a 27-hour shift. A lorry driver has to take a stop every three to four hours and has a limit to their working week. A doctor can work 90 hours a week, no problem. No wonder the HSE is in the state it's in. We are hemorrhaging young doctors in this country. 
check out how many Irish doctors have applied for visas for Australia. It runs into the hundreds. I know I looked at it last year and there was a particularly high number of doctors who were all going to Australia. And we spoke with, it was when we spoke, do you remember with the nurse, when the nurses were out on strike and we spoke with a young nurse from... West Cork I'm sure who is over in Australia over in Melbourne he was one of the ones who organised the you know the nurses who were abroad who all got together and held up little signs you know give us reason to come home and we're in support of the nurses here and we spoke about the working hours and we spoke about from nurses and from doctors point of view and he said it would be unheard of for anyone in Australia to be expected to work those kind of hours and it's one of the reasons why Australia why nurses and doctors like to go to Australia. They really look after uh, their staff and nobody would be expected to work the kind of hours that our nurses and doctors work at here. And on the ambulances and paramedics that got raised earlier on, and particularly thinking, I was mentioning the staff yesterday that got caught up in the middle of the status black at CUH. And we were told at one stage there was eight ambulances parked and they just literally had to park and wait until they could get their patient from the back of the ambulance into the accident emergency department and then we were able to go back, continue their shift or else go home because we heard of somebody who was meant to be off duty at 8 o'clock didn't get off duty until 3am in the morning and I was making the point that person was nearly on duty was nearly out of bed for 24 hours by the time they would have been up in the morning getting ready to go to work and then by the time they their last patient had to wait 3am in the morning and by the time they drove home and you know got back into bed they were, they were probably on their feet are up for the bones of 24 hours. A texter that signs them signs the text as distraught wife says hi my husband is a paramedic started work yesterday at 8 o'clock in the morning all day standing in the A&E at Cork University Hospital arrived home at 3.30am in the morning meant to be working again this morning he's currently in bed asleep he's on enforced rest Period. But here's the sting in the tail. He will have his wages docked because he wasn't available to go into work this morning and he's not available to go to work because they're enforcing a rest period and they're making him go to sleep and he gets his wages docked. That's just brutal. He'll go into back, back into work later on. Nursing staff finish their shift at their end time. No excuse for late finish time for a paramedic. This role is to transport patients to the hospital, which they did. It shows the poor regard management and nursing staff have for their ambulance colleagues. As far as I am aware, only one ambulance manager turned up during the day to try to relocate patients none around for last night and that signed a distraught wife who then sent in another text saying and to add to this two of his colleagues were involved in serious accident on the Cork to Mallow Road about three years ago they're still recovering from their injuries it's stressful enough knowing that they're out there and not knowing what they are facing into particularly with the closure of local guard stations there's now a longer waiting time for backup when a situation arrives and it's awful to think that somebody in an ambulance and paramedics would need backup but God knows we know unfortunately that that happens but now they have a longer wait time because there's less guardy to attend to the call that they would get from the paramedics while that's all, all going on a distraught wife is at home worrying and waiting for them to come home and to come home safely my God that's, that's, a, that's a tough way to live it's tough on the paramedics who are out there doing the job. But equally, it's tough on their family, a partner, 
or a parent or whoever is at home, knowing that in the past accidents have happened and you're just waiting for that phone call or that knock on the door. I mean, it's just, it's shocking. And then the relief when your loved one comes through the door. 1850 Some of your texts, some of your WhatsApps in on this. Um, Heidi says, Ambulance A&E just goes to show how ridiculous it was to take the A&E departments away from the local hospitals, i.e. Bantry Hospital and Mallow Hospital. It shows as the chickens have come home to roost how stupid these decisions were. And Micah says, Patricia, hi. Yes, the current wait time is long to get access to a hospital and will get longer as the people inside who are deemed fit for and are discharged to go home but will not be able to go home because there isn't a step-down facility for them or there's no one in a position to take them home to look after them. You have to free up a bed inside before you can take somebody in. And that's from uh, Michael. Okay, that's just some of your calls and texts coming in on the situation of this status black at uh, CUH. And can I just revert to the other issue that we're getting a lot of calls in on? And this was kicked off by one of our listeners who contacted us because she posted a confirmation card to her niece and she's been waiting for a thank you or an acknowledgement to say Auntie, that was very nice of you. Thanks a million. And nothing. She hasn't heard a word back. And she was wondering, is it just a sign of the times? Do people not respond anymore? Do they just expect that a card with some money in it is going to arrive? Or do they just expect a gift is going to arrive in the post and that people just take it for granted and there's no such thing as basic manners are saying thank you anymore? Some of your commentary in on that. I know exactly what that lady is talking about. Now, obviously, the age of the recipient is... Is the problem, says Dick. I have a goddaughter who lives in Tipperary. When I send her a gift on occasions, she will always reply. Now, is it off her own back? I don't know. But I think there is a parent prompting in there somewhere. But I'm afraid that is the majority of the younger generation that that woman is experiencing. But parents should be more aware and get their offspring to reply with a simple thank you. And I think, you know, you're right. I think, you know, depending on the age of the child, if your children are younger, they're not going to be able to pick up the phone, dial the number themselves or send a text or whatever it is. So obviously there's a bit of prompting when the children is smaller. But if you keep prompting your child, if a child at a young age gets into the habit, be it done by prompting to always say thank you, I guarantee you as that child gets older, they'll get into the habit of it. I mean, it's just, it is basic manners is what it is to acknowledge and say thank you that somebody has sent you on a uh, gift. Some of your texts coming in on this one. Uh, Sheila says, and Sheila's tying in the thank you along with the Easter egg issue that we spoke with Safe Food and Children Getting Too Many Easter Eggs. Sheila says, Patricia, it's not easy to buy a child just one Easter egg because they'll want all of the chocolate Easter bunnies and the Easter chickens and everything that's made so attractive for children. So it's hard to say no. If you're the parent, Sheila, you have to at some stage decide and say no, particularly when it's not any good for the child. I mean, listening to the amount of sugar that's inside in an Easter egg and and thinking about children who are overweight and children suffering with obesity and the health problems that we're storing up for the future. So, you know, you've got to you've got to be cruel to be kind even. You know, it's not even that even. I mean, you, you, we just are. We're asking for health problems down the track unless we get a handle on our children's 
weight issues. And if that means saying no, one or two Easter eggs is enough, then one or two Easter eggs is enough. It's, to me, it's, it's as easy as that. And Sheila says, on the thank you issue, my son has some really lovely friends when they were over in the house lately having dinner, they handed me back the plate and actually said, Sheila, that was a lovely dinner. <laughs> See, they're well, ra- they're well raised kids and I hope that you passed that on to their parents. And, you know, I always think it's nice to acknowledge when children have very good manners like that, let their parents know that when they were out of their you know, they didn't, there was no prompting going on. See, their children that were obviously prompted as children to always say thank you. And they had the correct and the, and the, and the, the nice thing to say. Well done. And the text says, I'm a granny to six. The eldest is 17. If I ever send the 17 year old a message, it might be wishing him well on a school trip or wishing him the best of luck on the day of school exams. I'll always get a lovely quick text back saying, thank you, granny. Um, and with like a little emoji, a smiley face emoji uh, on it or a little kiss emoji on it. Younger ja- grandchildren will write little notes. The parents of younger children always get them to say thank you in their own little voices. So it does come from the parents. You have to get them into the habit of doing it and you do that by practising what you preach and let the child see that you are passing on your thanks uh, as well. And somebody else says, Patricia, thank you letters are not a tradition. Yeah, I think I, I probably used the wrong word when I said, is, is, is it a fading tradition? It shouldn't be a tradition. It's basic manners. Um, this text picks me up on that. Uh, thank you letters are not a tradition, but they are a basic way of communicating gratitude to whoever has bought a gift. My children are young, four, six, and a baby of one. And now the eldest at six writes little thank you notes for any gifts. Anyone who does not acknowledge a gift will not receive another gift from me. With phones these days there's no excuse. Yeah, that's exactly the point I was making as well and there's, there certainly is no, there's, there are no teenagers out there that don't have their own mobile phone. And I mean I thought from the other granny getting the lovely text, you know, thank you granny and a little smiley face from her grandson. You know, a simple, small thing to do, but I bet you that makes granny smile every time she gets that text from her strapping 17-year-old uh, grandson. So, and you're starting a lovely tradition with your children and the six-year-old with her very perfect little handwriting writing the note. And as the four-year-old gets to write and as the baby gets to write, they'll all be writing on the note. So you, you are doing well. You're, you're raising your children with good manners. Keep it up. 1850 103 Lines open. C103 Jobs. Now, a receptionist slash administrator is required for a business. This is in the Bantry area, while a full-time manager is required for the Neenry and the after-school service at Musica Fusion School of Music. That's in Charleville. Plasterer wanted, that's to work in the North Cork area. And washing up staff are required for the corporate court restaurants in Ballyhay and in Kilworth. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Now, the mother of a child with autism and an intellectual disability has said her son will have to wait at least two years to gain a school place in what can only be described as a case of educational discrimination. Trisha Neal from Dunhamore joins me to share the story of her son, Connor. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, good morning to you, Trish. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, you, you're welcome to the programme. Now, you, you. your beautiful son, Connor, is uh, six and a half. He is. So what schooling has he had to date? Um, so he was diagnosed at two and a half uh, privately and we were then able to gain home tuition for him at that point. And about, where was he, about a, about a year, year and a half ago, we managed to get a placement for him in an ASD unit attached to a mainstream school. So he would have started in the equivalent of a preschool year. It's called early intervention. Mm. And he spent a year in the school. Um, then come the, the, the next year, the next September, he was due to go into junior infants in the ASD unit. And this is where his placement began to break down. Um, the school felt that his behaviour was something that they couldn't manage. Um, they reduced his hours. Most kids were in until 2.30. He was only there till 1. And it just went from bad to worse. Um, so he left the unit last December, just around Christmas time. The reason he left was everybody came together to form a plan of action and it was strongly recommended that I, um, first of all, put his name down for a special school, which is correct really based on his intellectual disability. But while we wait for that special school placement, it was recommended that we move to home tuition. So that's when we left the school last December. It was something that was recommended by professionals, so I went with it, and I have to say that I regret it massively. Even though we have the most amazing tutor in the world, she's fantastic, she's tutoring him right now as we speak, um, what's missing for Connor is he's extremely isolated, he has no friends, he doesn't have a peer group, and he's he's regressing day by day by day, and it's it's just hard. And, you're, and you're seeing it? I'm seeing it every day. Um, he, I suppose the first reaction would have been when he actually finished up in school. Um, I, I can remember that Monday clearly because I was dropping his two younger siblings to preschool and creche and he doesn't have a, a huge amount of words, but he sat in the car and he looked at me and he cried and he said school because he was so used to his uniform being put on and he big smile when that would happen and his bus would come to collect him and all of a sudden this was taken away and he didn't I couldn't explain why this was happening to him so for the following three weeks then over the Christmas period he had massive trouble sleeping he was taken until 11 o'clock at night to go to sleep he'd wake back up at 2am and stay up for the day Um, biting his nails anxiety biting them away to nothing nearly it was very stressful for him and since then we've seen his behaviour become very challenging he, he's very anxious he's upset he's bored half the time because he's stuck at home all day and then he's stuck with mommy in the afternoon and um, he's the type of child even though he has autism he loves being around other children he loves being around his peer group and that's all been taken away from him So you put his name down for a special school? Yes 
so we had a, a psychologist diagnosed as intellectual disability in March 2018. So the moment that we found that out and we got the recommendation to do so, we put his name down for Cara Junior School in Mayfield, which is um, it's an excellent school. However, they're inundated with people trying to get into the school um, and they can't, you know, there's a waiting list. So we've now been waiting a year and the principal has been very good to keep me up to date. She's, she's really good. She's trying everything she can do. But as she's explained to me, it's impossible for them to predict how many children or how many places will open up each year. So we know he won't get in this September. There's a strong possibility he won't get in the following September. We're aiming for 2021. So to think that he could be eight when he finally starts school is terrifying to me because he, he it's just it's just not fair in him. He's being discriminated against. If he if he didn't have autism, he'd be in school right now. So he's being treated less, you know, he's not being treated equally. Are there any other special schools? Um, so within our catchment area, that would be one that would have been recommended to us. The other is on the south side of the city, but we've been told not to bother putting our names down for it because by the time he enrolls and comes through the waiting list, he'll be eight and they won't accept him at that age. Oh. So that took that school off the list. Um, since I since I brought all this into the into the attention of you know Facebook and social media and everything, people have recommended um, one or two other schools as well. I, I suppose it's all been quite new. I'm trying to think where do I put his name down for. I'm scrambling now for information. I know, I know, know. It's, it's, I know. it's very overwhelming. And when you removed Connor from this the the mm-hmm. ASD unit he was in, yeah. And as you say, you took the professionals' advice. It seemed like the yeah. right thing to do. Had you realised at that stage that it could be maybe two years before you would get the other placement? No, I had no. thought, I, I knew there'd be a waiting list and that was made clear to me. However, I thought no, that he, to me, would be in in the worst possible scenario, that he would be a priority, that they would try to, you know, get him in fast or do something. I never thought that he'd be left waiting this long because a lot of the time, you know, you're, you're told the worst case scenario that, you know, it'll be a year waiting and you might get something a little bit sooner. When, I, when I've when i realised now that it really is the case that he could be home tutor for two to three years, I'm panicking. I, 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 I know. I, I can't. Know. I really can't. Well, it's, it's hard when you're watching him regress, Trish. I horrible. mean, I think that's what makes it so difficult. It's very upsetting. At the end of the day, I'm a mum and he's my little boy. He's my baby. And we've worked so hard as a family to give as much support to him, to help him develop, to give him the same chance as everybody else. We've paid for private speech and language. We've invested everything into his future. And we need a school in place to support all of that. We can't do it all on our own. We can't provide social interaction. And now we get to look at him isolated every day and he's slipping further and further and going into himself. And it's the worst thing it's it's very frustrating and of course he doesn't understand why no. and then because he doesn't have the communication his yeah. his way of it's communication is to lash out because exactly. that's exactly that is exactly. lashing out is communication he's that's trying exactly. to say yeah behavior is a form yeah. of communication yeah, so absolutely i want to go play with my friends i'm lonely he can't express that so then he can't tell anybody nobody can empathize with him it builds up inside and we ask him to do something and he's lashing out so it just, it's not working. Um, but the, I suppose the worst part is the people who should be helping, they all give the same answer. There's nothing we can do. Um, I think the Department of Education statement on this is that, you know, we can't comment on individual yeah. cases. Da, 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 da. It, it doesn't help. There's no yeah. action whatsoever. 
Have you any outside supports? Um, no, is the simple answer. Um, to be honest with you, it's family who we, we support each other. We, we look after each other. My tutor would be the best example of outside support. Um, out, aside from that, the only support that we've had of late is from the Irish guide dogs. It's been, we've been very lucky. We've just gotten an assistance dog last week because Connor's a bit of a runner or a yeah. bolter, as they say. Yeah. So we've just gotten our dog Quelda from the Irish guide dogs. And that's the first time I would say since he's diagnosed that somebody has put their arm around us as a family and they said, hey, we're going to look after you. We've got your back, you know. So at least this is something positive for Connor and hopefully this will allow him now to go has for a walk. He started work, has he started working with the dog? Uh, we're actually going to start today. He's oh. got his first attachment walk later oh. in the in the not so nice weather, but we'll do it anyway. We're very excited. So it's nice to see something positive happening for Connor, you know. So because that, uh, that further not just isolates Connor Trish that isolates the whole family when you, when you have a yep. child who's in risk of flight I mean the, yeah. the whole family gets isolated 100% so if there's you know if there's um, an event on on a Saturday it could be like a fair we'll say for example and you know, naturally, we'll say, hey, will we go to that? It could be a nice on Saturday. Let's all go. And then we have to have the discussion, wait, hang on, can we? Will it be safe? Will we be able to get there? Will he bolt? Will he go here? And very quickly, the motivation and the enthusiasm drains and we just end up saying, you know what, we won't bother. We'll just stay here. So it's too stressful. And then the younger kids miss out and we feel like we're different and we're always on our own. And yeah, that's part of it. But hopefully it's tough. That's really tough. It's just, I did an interview yesterday with the Rainbow Club. Yes. Are they? Uh, would they? Would they be of any use? Have you Karen, tried? Karen runs the Rainbow Club, and I know in my heart that if Karen had any way to help me, she would. But unfortunately, Karen is inundated as well. There's yeah. a waiting list there. I she did Karen, say that. She did say that. There's yeah. a huge waiting list. If the government would help her and, and give funding to her, it would actually help us. There you go. You I know. know I know. Karen would be the first person to say, "Hey, bring him down here. We'll help him." But she's. She's overrun with numbers. She she just can't, you know. But I know if a place opens up, she will. Yeah, I did reach out to Karen. She's an amazing person. Okay, all the more reason for people to to go out and, and support her dress oh. to impress event uh, at the at the weekend. Sp- special Olympics, any special um, Olympic groups yeah, in your I area? Yeah, I touched with them as well recently. Um, there, I believe there's a club um, in Ovens. I'm waiting to hear back from them. Okay. I haven't heard. Um, that's something else I'm trying to think of because a big part of our family is sport. And activity, and I find that very hard as well. Um, he's six and a half, and he's actually got quite low muscle tone because, you know, if he was in school, he'd be running around, he'd be probably, you know, doing a physical activity in the hall or doing whatever, and that's missing as well. And because I can't take him for a walk, then again, his fitness is low, what it should be for a six and a half year old. So that's hard to look at. Um, so yeah, that that's the other thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to think of something that I can bring him to do or somewhere he'll be included. So that's another. And they are great if you could find the right one, yeah. the right group. There, they are great. And then, Trish, what what about you? I mean, I'm I'm assuming you work full time in the home. Yeah. No, um, I actually I I work full time and oh. not at the moment okay. because of all of this. To be honest, um, I have had to step back from work for a little while. I'm stress levels have just gone through the roof it's just impossible to do it all and I've had to take time out um, it does get me down I think more anxiety than it, than anything else because I'm trying to juggle so many balls in the air 
Um, it's very tough, and it's very tough on my husband as well. Um, luckily, we're, we are a very good team. We, we keep each other going. But I was just chatting to my tutor this morning, who's also, I consider her a good friend, and I was saying, you know what, I actually, I feel like I'm close to burning out. I really do, because every day is a letter to somewhere, is a phone call to a school, is a conversation. It's just constant, and I don't know how much longer I can keep it up, to be honest, but I'll have to. I have to until he's in a school placement. Yeah, you you have no choice, but no. it's just and you know your story is reflected all over the country, un- unfortunately, and yeah. and we don't often get to see that inside of what goes on behind closed doors because yeah. you can't get out a lot with Connor. Yeah, because you don't have the supports. You're yeah. just you're all getting more isolated. It's just. More and more, and I think when you live rurally, it can you can become isolated very quickly, very very quickly, because it's just the nature of it. You know, you are we do live in the rural part of Cork, and we absolutely love it. Now we're lucky we've good neighbours too. You know, and um, it's amazing the people who help you are are people, neighbours, friends, and sometimes strangers. And it should really be services, government. Mm. They should be helping, but it's actually the people around us that do most work. But yeah, it's very easy to become isolated because simple thing, another mother might say, hey, you know, let's go on a coffee date. We'll bring the kids. I have to step back from that straight away. And my friends understand, of course, but other people don't. But it's not that simple for me. Where are you going for a coffee date? Connor could get upset. Connor could run away. There's always an extra layer for me. And yeah, I do step back from a lot of things. And then you've two younger as well. Yes, I have my two fantastic younger kids, Evine and Ben. Um, you know what, they're actually, they're the, they're the one bit of, I suppose, energy in Connor's life that's a real positive. Um, they are the ones who are teaching him how to share, um, how to fight fair. <laughs> he, he's had to learn to tolerate the, the crying and the giving out, but without them, he'd well and truly be isolated. They are too young for him. They're three and a half and one and a half, but still, they're a positive in his life. It is a busy household, 100%. But as I say, I'm a lucky person in that I've got a, a partner and a husband who is 50-50 with me the whole way. I couldn't do it without him. Somebody is suggesting, could Enable Ireland uh, help out your listener? Our listener is uh, Trisha O'Neill okay. uh, from Dunamore. Enable Ireland? Have you tried to enable Ireland? I haven't, no, no. And I, I, that's a great suggestion. Thank yeah, you very that's, much. That's I appreciate give it. Enable Ireland. Yeah. I mean, as you say, you'll reach out anywhere. 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 Yeah. I will, anybody who can offer advice no matter how silly or off left field you think it is I'll listen I'll take the advice I will travel as far as needs be to a school I'll do anything anything that I can anything that I possibly can to give Connor what he just needs all I want is just to see my little boy going off being included happy in the morning having a smile on his face and going to school his school sack has been sitting in the same position that we left it in December it's just it's the school sack yeah and of course being autistic Connor with routine is so important oh he's poor he's had so much upset change he's had no routine it's constant change for him and it's so unfair I mean that's the worst part for him like as you you hit the nail in the head it has to be the same thing as much as possible he thrives on it and and he doesn't understand that's the killing part no I, uh, I can't explain to him, you know. Yeah. So that's the hard. And you know what? The, the thing is, when he does get a school placement, because I believe he will, it'll be more change again. 
you know it's just constant change but I hope the next change is the final change and then he can have the same as every other little boy Somebody's pointing out did we realise and I did that today is World Autism Day it is, 2nd yeah. of April yeah I'm very aware of that you are a powerful woman <laughs> uh, you're a fantastic mother and Connor is just I, I, you know I interview mums like you and you, you just you astound me your level of strength that, that you have and it comes from within it's that love it's that that tiger instinct, I think, that's in all of us mothers and it's in dads as well. Yeah. And it very much comes to the fore. Connor and your other two little kids and your hubby, blessed to have you, Trish. Thank you. Keep in contact with us. And if we hear anything, we certainly will be on to you. But a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks Thank for joining you, us. Thanks God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. What a lovely lady that is. Trish O'Neill uh, from Dunhamore talking about her young six and a half year old son, uh, Connor. And it is shocking. It is shocking that she has to come on to a radio station, that she has to go on to Facebook, that she has to go on to get onto the papers to share her story. She shouldn't have to do that, but it's the only way that she can draw attention to the help that her little boy so desperately needs. And it must be soul destroying for all the work that they've put into this little boy and to now see him regressing because of a decision that was made, leave him at home. This is the best way to go. It was the wrong decision. He needs to be in a special school. He needs to be in a special unit, getting the help that he needs so that he can thrive and that he can grow uh, and that he can gain the skills that he will need going forward. It's just like everybody loses out when you don't reach out and help a, a very special little boy uh, like this. So thanks to uh, Trisha Neal for sharing her story with us today. Got back onto us the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation because they are the group who comply compile the trolley watch figures. Somebody earlier on made the point why do we never hear of people waiting on trolleys at uh, Mallow General Hospital. You'll hear of all the other hospitals, you'll hear of Bantry will even get mentioned but you never hear of uh, Mallow. Uh, And I was wondering are they just not counted? That you know surely are there people waiting on trolleys because somebody was saying is their their management is the management of the hospital that good that there's never anybody waiting on trolleys anyway we got onto the INMO who compiled the figures to find out why and they say they get the figures for hospitals only with a 24-7 emergency department now you straight away say but hang on Bantry doesn't have a 24-7 emergency department but they say they still take numbers for Bantry for a historical reason it's the only exception the Bantry figures would be ward figures but as Mallow is known in A&E they do not collect figures from uh, Mallow and that's if they're doing it historically for Bantry why aren't they doing it historically for Mallow because Bantry and Mallow would have both lost their A&Es at the same time I don't quite understand the answer to that so that means there are people waiting um, are there people waiting it's similar to the figures for Bantry are they similar in Mallow as well the figures for Mallow would be ward figures and these are people waiting to get admitted to the wards obviously um, yeah sorry that's not making any sense uh, at all but that's the reason that you never hear Mallow on the list for the trolley figures they're not counted 1850 now yesterday we heard that the first of the cruise liners of the season came into Cove and there was a protest um, joining me Dermot O'Kyla who was involved in the protest yesterday uh, good morning to you Dermot good morning Patricia now Dermot the, this was expected that there was going to be protest you did mention your group did mention this in advance that you were going to protest because your group was formed you're protesting against the blocking of Cove's historical deep water key walk just explain remind listeners what this is about that's right just just to clarify 
the Astoria ship was welcomed by the community group involved. Um, there's no issue with the cruise liners coming there. The people on, on us are welcome as are the ships. But the issue is simply to do with recognition of the public right of way, which exists along the Deepwater Key stroke, um, the five-foot way along there. And it exists there for a number of generations. And recently, since last summer in particular, Port of Cork have taken to putting barriers up blocking the road, the, the walkway and roads on one occasion, um, on the grounds that there's health and safety involved and so on. So um, we don't, the people don't accept that argument. My role in the matter is there simply to support the community in what I, t- I personally believe is a very important issue. So last evening, or yesterday morning rather, the crack of dawn, um, there was, I'd say, a dozen or so people and down there, and they did prevent the barriers being erected. There was no interruption to the ship. In fact, people were welcomed, as I said. And um, and did people no getting off the ship? Did people who got off the the cruise liner? Did any of them come over and ask you what you're protesting about? Did they no, engage no, with no, you? No, in fact, no, nobody at all did. But they were very, in fact, they were very slow disembarking from the ship. Maybe because of the early hour that was in it. Um, but nobody, I don't think the ship really paid much attention to the whole the whole operation, which was down to the side. It wasn't even in front of the ship, you know. Um, somebody would have to have had to look to see if there was something going on. But the, the, the residents did have a meeting last Friday with the Port of Cork. Um, I attended with them again in a supportive role. And um, Port of Cork had outlined, look, that they were obliged under law to erect barriers on the quay for safety reasons. And, and wh- what are they that. saying? What, what, what are they saying of the safety reasons? They're saying that they're, they're, if ropes tying the ships up snapped or whatever else, that there could be danger involved to the public. Now, this hasn't been the case for years. And it um, wasn't, for example, when this started with the Disney ship coming in last September, was it? Yeah. Um, like the same ship docked in Liverpool to throng thousands of people on the quays um, meeting it and so on. So there was no health and safety issue there. So why would there be in Cove? And um, it, it, it's not it's not valid. So no, I don't Friday, I don't know if this is a valid reason. But Gary in Cove reckons that it's all to do with something called an IPS, International Port Security, and the possibility yes. of a terrorist attack. And that's one of the reasons for it. It's particularly yeah, affecting US cruise there are, liners. There are European regulations, and these have been quoted to us, and there are port authority regulations themselves which require this. But they can't, like the people, regardless of who owns the property, um, but the Port of Cork have no title on it. But even regardless of that, because it's been walked on uninterruptedly for generations, that qualifies it as being a public right of way. So people have no right to block it. And the security grounds were proven wrong this morning, in fact, because when the Astoria departed Cove this morning, like last week we were told, there was an absolute obligation on the port authorities to put up barriers but they didn't even think of it this morning there was no attempt made to put up a barrier whatsoever so the security argument is is bogus it is not valid and even even when they were having barriers on the ropes being tied some were inside the barrier area but some were like 100 metres beyond it so, th- so therefore, why wouldn't safety apply in those areas also? So th- the safety grounds are just an excuse, people feel, for Port of Cork trying to establish its its right over the property. And they were saying people may walk there, but it would be at their discretion. Not okay. as of right. So, so the protest went ahead yesterday. Will the pro- Do you feel it achieved anything? 
Well, it was very regrettable that people had to get out of their beds early in the morning. Like, we don't see... Like, the, the residents there and the protesters included have no objection that if if Port of Cork feel they need to have safety, that there should be a closure for a half an hour or something to allow a ship to be tied up safely as they see it. No resident has an objection to that. What they have an objection to is that Port of Cork say it is their property rather than a public right-of-way. If the Port Authority said, we recognise the right-of-way and made that unambiguous statement, then the residents would have no issue whatsoever with what they're doing. And Port of Cork, as we know, have great plans for Cork Harbour area to develop business and so on, all of which is fantastic. But they should learn to live with their neighbours and facilitate a simple exercise of people walking up and down. OK, so pro- the, are, are the protests going to continue? I believe so. I yeah. believe so. I okay. know that... I know the residents are due to meet again on the 15th with the Port Authorities and others around Carrigaloe and so are meeting this week with them and um, because there are a number of areas around Great Island area which are being interfered with and and if you remember the issue of rights of way has to be resolved before the end of next year because of government legislation is that if a right of way is not recognised formally by the end of next year it will be deemed not to exist so the right would be extinguished. So this is this is one of the reasons why residents are adamant that there must be a formal recognition of the public right of way. The clock is ticking. All right, we'll come back to this issue again in the meantime. Uh, thank you for that, Dermot. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. That is Councillor Dermot O'Kyla. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And just to uh, give you a snapshot of some of the calls we've received uh, following my interview with uh, Trish O'Neill talking about the struggles that she's going through just to get her little boy into the ideal school placement. And he's six and a half. It could be another two years before he gets what is an ideal uh, placement. And he's regressing all the time. And of course, her her concern and her worries is that he'll regress even further uh, in those two years. Nora says, Patricia, I heard your interview uh, with that the mum of that little boy uh, looking for a placement in an autistic unit. There is one in Carrick Navarre Primary School. Might be worth a try. I know that they take children from the city and the surrounding areas, says uh, Nora. Somebody else has suggested the Morning Star. They have uh, an ASD unit. And it's lovely people are trying to uh, offer help and advice for Trish. But I think at this stage, it because he had been in an ASD unit in a mainstream school and that placement broke down, it's it's a special school is where he needs to be. And the places in special schools, unfortunately, are very limited. And then some very kind offers. Thank you to Podrick in Glamworth, Podrick Moynihan in Glamworth, who we've spoken with on this programme because Podrick is a full-time carer for his little daughter, Governor Special Needs uh, Child. So he knows the battles of parenting a special needs child. And he says, uh, Patricia, you can tell that lady, uh, Trish, that you're talking to, I can't help with schooling, but I'd be happy to be available to give a listening ear and help in as much as I can. That's a very kind offer and a very kind thought uh, from you, Porik. And then someone else, being very practical, says, Hi Trish, I'm currently in coaching and physical education in Cork. We do PE with the Morning Star down the road from college where there is an ASD uh, unit. I would be happy to do one-to-one sports with Connor. Every child should be included. Isn't that a really kind offer? Thank you. It was just a, a sample. A lot of people just wanted to wish Trish all the very best and hoping that everything works out for little Connor. As I say, we will uh, do our best to keep you updated, including Heidi St. Patricia. Listening to that mum speaking brings to mind why we have a government not working for its people i.e. hospitals and children's needs while we have Leo Varadkar writing fan letters to Kylie Minogue 
He should be out and about in the country to see what we as a people need and what a not writing fan letters. I think Leo Varadkar must be cringing with all the publicity and it's still actually I saw it again uh, I know I photocopied a piece whether I have it with me or not I saw it again uh, it's still it's, it's still in the papers Leo's letter to uh, Kylie one headline today says Leo's letter to Kylie cringe worthy and demeaning of his office obviously opposition TDs totally jumping all over uh, this one and people just saying it's mortification. I mean, I said it yesterday when I heard this story on Sunday because it broke in the Sunday Independent, uh, broke with this story and it seems they had a fight on their hands to get the information out from, it was released under Freedom of Information, but they had a bit of a fight because officialdom were trying to say no to the request from the Sunday Independent, but they eventually got it. And when I heard it on Sunday, my initial reaction was, this is an April Fool's. And I said, they never run an April Fool's on the 31st of March. So I said, is it for real? And then I realised it was. And I know yesterday I heard people talking about it and saying, surely that's an April Fool's. And it wasn't, it was genuine that Leo Varadkar, it happened last year when Kylie Minogue was due to come to Ireland. As it turned out, that can- the, the concert that he was looking to meet her at was actually, ca- was actually ca- cancelled. Just, just for those of you that didn't see it, he wrote it on official notepaper on Taoiseach, you know, I'm sure lovely embossed paper they'd have up in, in Dáil Éireann but it's a handwritten letter and it was Dear Kylie just wanted to drop you a short note in advance of the concert in Dublin I am really looking forward to it I'm a huge fan exclamation mark I understand you're staying in the Marion Hotel which is just across the street from my office in government buildings if you like I'd love to welcome you to Ireland personally uh, he added uh, signing off the letter with Leo V Taoiseach and then in brackets Irish uh, Prime Minister now as it turns out, that cancel that concert got cancelled because she got sick, didn't she? I think she had a throat infection or something, and it ended up getting uh, cancelled. But they, they ended up. I think they ended. She ended up meeting him at at something else. But he he is a, a big uh, fan. Uh, and my apologies to the Irish Mail. It wasn't the Irish Independent. It was the Irish Mail on Sunday that broke uh, this story. And the details under freedom of information were provided to the Irish Mail on Sunday after two initial. Uh, refusals. I mean, you know, they were refused on the grounds that it was personal. But I suppose they they got it on the fact that it was written on headed paper. Nothing wrong with the thief check if he wants to send a fan letter. But I suppose just don't send it on official paper and 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 also I suppose the offer to welcome her to the country is Taoiseach would that have been in an official capacity as well anyway it's one of those cringe worthy moments on behalf of Leo Varadkar that I think we will be talking about and hearing about for many many years to come do you know the way things will stick it'll be one of those moments with Leo I guarantee it Can, this is a breaking news story local property tax People who pay their local property tax yearly get, would have paid it in March. Other people I know have set up direct debit systems and they pay weekly and uh, monthly. Um, others paid it at the start of the year and those who have a regular direct debit, a yearly one, paid it in uh, March. And we know that 2019, which is where we are now, there are expected to be changes to local property tax, i.e. how much we 
hand over in local property tax. The current valuations which we pay property tax are based on property values which were set in 2013 and we were told in 2013 that they would stay in place until 2019 which I have to say seemed ages away and suddenly it's here and it's, it's 2019. We all know the valuation that was placed on your house in 2013 would be very different to the valuation that will be placed on your house today because house prices have risen between 2018, between 2013 and 2019. Um, the government now are saying that the Department of Finance are recommended delaying the implementation to any changes by a year. So it means rather than do it now and decide how much extra people are going to be paying, they're going to wait until next year. Now, I could be very cynical here and I could suggest, could this have anything to do with local and European elections at the end of May. I mean, if the government were to come out in the coming weeks and say that the Department of Finance have taken a look at the valuations and have decided, yes, those valuations are a bit on the low side now. People's houses are worth more. We know our local property tax is based on the value of your house. So therefore, your property tax is going to increase. If that got announced just before people were knocking on your doors looking for votes, particularly when it's a local property tax that we were all told the reason that we bought into it was that the local property tax was going to fund local government. You could imagine the abuse the government candidates would get on the doorsteps. As I say, I may maybe I'm just being cynical here and maybe it has nothing whatsoever to do with local elections, but little cynical old me suggests that it may be. But anyway, let's take the good news out of it with the Department of Finance report recommending delaying the implementation of any changes to how much we pay on our property tax by a year. So that's a bit of good news in that your property tax certainly is not going to go up for at least another year. Different kettle of fish, I imagine, this time next year when we're talking about it uh, at uh, again and we will be. Tom in Rathgormick says the property tax should never have been brought in in the first place. People paying it kept the tax in place. I think one of the reasons that people, well I think two reasons, I think people bought into it I think it was sold very well. I mean it was sold that this was going to be used for to fund everything locally. Uh, and a lot of the money does go uh, locally to fund you know your council services and all of that but People didn't see an improvement. I think if people had started to see better road conditions, better footpaths, better lighting, green areas being cut. I mean, since certainly since we started paying local property tax, people who had a green area that used to be cut by the council are now paying to have it cut themselves. You know, and that annoys people when they don't think that they're getting the services that they're now paying for, hadn't been paying for before. Suddenly you're paying for it and they're not getting services. And I think the other clever thing that the Department of Finance did when they introduced the local property tax was handing it over to the revenue to collect it. I think the revenue just puts the fear of God in, a, in everyone. And when a letter came through from the revenue commissioner saying, you owe, people said, how much and where do I pay? 
it's just the power that the revenue commissioners have and also tied in with it is people are not able to sell their houses unless their local property tax is up to date etc 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 anyway that's you can you can see it as good news or bad or, or you can bemoan the fact that we pay local property tax but we pay it but let's take the good news out of it it's certainly not going to increase for at least uh, another year Joe in McCroom what do we get from the property tax it is the local tidy towns group here in McCroom that's doing all the work voluntary to keep the town clean. I don't see the state contributing to any issues around the town. And Noreen in Dunhamore says, I pay my local property tax. I live in a rural area with no services at all, no lighting, a road falling apart outside my house. So explain to me, please, why am I paying property tax? 1850 some uh, some more of your calls and texts coming in to us. Anthony says, great, great guy yesterday on your programme, uh, Graham McCormack, who was talking about he's going to be doing the official opening of that book library on behalf of Lysheen's House uh, next weekend in, in West Cork and in Skibbereen. And he was talking to us yesterday about his own battle with mental health. Anthony said, great to hear Graham Sherry's story yesterday. He was so good and so brave the way he chatted about mental health. It gives hope to all in times of anxiety. Well done, Graham. And another texter says, listening to the message from the lady about sending her niece a confirmation card and not getting any thank you back. Perhaps she never received the card. Cards with money in the post have gone missing previously. Never send money in cards uh, through the main post. I did preface that when I did say that at the start that we are assuming that the card arrived uh, safely. But yes, if that hasn't been checked, it will be one of the first things. Obviously, you're not going to ring, you're not going to contact the child yourself and say, did you get the confirmation card with the few bob in it? But I suppose a gentle text to the mum saying, just wondering. Now, it will, it will shame them. If, can you imagine sending a text if you don't want to send a call saying, hi, I'm just checking in, did, what can we call her? Uh, I was going to call her Betty, but I don't know if there's any any 12-year-old child around called Betty. We'll call her Elizabeth. Uh, just checking in to see, did Elizabeth get the confirmation card that I sent? You could say something like this, with cards going missing in the post, I'm just checking in, did it arrive safely? Now, if it did arrive safely and they haven't sent it, thank you, they will be so, I would be so embarrassed if you went into the 12-year-old who probably was told to send, we'll call her Betty, to send Auntie Betty a thank you and maybe didn't. But yeah, maybe it's it's worth checking in to see, did it, did it arrive safe and sound? But as I say, we've been discussing it based on the assumption that it did arrive safe and sound. And just on the whole issue of gratitude, Sandy said, went to a wedding a few years ago and gave €200 Euro in a gift card, handed it over to the bridesmaid on the day of the wedding. Heard nothing, got no thank you back. So the last wedding we decided we'd give similar, but this time handed it to the bride herself. Again, no thank you. Not then, not since. Which led me to think about a bride in Australia, said Sandy who told a guest that her present of $300 wasn't enough as the meal had cost $500. It was posted up on social media and it attracted a lot of dire remarks. Oh my goodness, that's absolutely shocking. Even if somebody did give you a less than generous present, would you actually have the guts to go and say to the person, you haven't given me enough because a lot of people now give cash. I mean, there were very, I can't remember the last wedding that I went to 
where I actually bought a gift. I mean, I normally always check in, you know, as the bride and groom to see are they looking for money. And 10 out of 10 times, I would say, in the last mm, 15, 20 years, I've given cash. It's always been cash. It's never come back to me that I haven't given enough, I have to say. (laughs) Absolutely uh, never. I mean, you give sort of the standard. You will hear people ask, what is the standard? You know, most couples going, I think, 200 euro. Gift card is a nice idea as well, that they can go and buy themselves something. But a lot of the brides and grooms look for the cash because the cash may go towards the cost of the actual wedding day or they may use the cash maybe to pay for their honeymoon if they're going on an expensive honeymoon afterwards as well so I would be aware of that and then others might be putting it into actually putting it into buying items for their house but a lot of couples live together before they get married now and have already set up home so you know gone are the day when you would buy the kettle and the iron and the toasters I mean those days uh, are gone and there was something nice about that as well wasn't there, was there something nice about having a, almost having a bridal shower where all the presents were put out on display but that day is long since gone it does seem to be all cash but yeah I would be devastated devastated to have a bride or groom come and tip me on the shoulder or after the wedding say by the way you didn't give me enough for the wedding. I mean, what, what are you meant to do? In that particular case, if somebody gave $300 and the meal cost $500 and I'd love to have seen the meal and the wedding day if it was costing $500 uh, per person. But what are you meant to do? Write a cheque or go to, go to the ATM and get out the other 200 and hand it over and say, there you go, honey. Have have a nice rest of your life. I'm, I'm sure they weren't friends for very much longer after that. 1850-333-103. Lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Kilworth Dramatic Society. They're staging their production of Unforgiven. It's by John McDonough. John McDwyer. It's in Kilworth Community Hall tonight and tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. It's a performance not to be missed. Nagel Rice Secondary School in Donnerell. They are hosting a social dance in the Hazel Tree in Mallow. It's on next Monday night. Dancing is to Michael Collins' band from 9pm. Tickets are available from the school or from the door. And refresh, renew, rekindle your marriage relationships on a marriage enrichment weekend. It runs in Cork from Friday the 12th of April to Sunday the 14th. To book your place, contact Mike R. Rose on 086 833 You can find out more at marriageencounter.ie And as part of the COPE Flowers of Hope fundraising campaign. A coffee morning will be held in the Cope Centre, Quartertown in Mallow, tomorrow, Wednesday, 10 a.m. to 12 noon. And St. Nicholas Brass Band, they'll perform in concert in St. Fimber's Cathedral this coming Thursday. It starts at 8 o'clock. Guest uh, choir uh, will join them on the night. Tickets available at the door. And the Inkwell Theatre presents Cash on Delivery, an hilarious comedy by Michael Cooney at the Theatre Manan Bridge this Friday, Saturday and Sunday and again the following weekend 8 o'clock each night. And actually on that whole gratitude and saying thank you and asking children to please say thank you I am now surprised at the number of calls and texts we're getting in from people to say that wedding couples um, this seems to be a new trend of not sending out uh, thank you cards. The number of people who are saying that they've gave cheques, gave money, gave presents and uh, no thank you card back. And then now I don't know when this person got married, how long ago this was, but Patricia, we got €20 euro in a card 
from my husband's friend while attending a wedding. Now we're assuming this is a wedding of, you know, lately where people give the bones of 100 for one, 200 if there's a couple going and another person gave us a cheese board. <laughs> and do you think of that person every time you take out the cheese board? You probably do. Uh, Patricia, what else is uh, here on? There's lots of scams, by the way. The broadband, the internet broadband scam is doing the rounds. Anne has been on just now by text. Uh, caller ID came up as 21284. So she thought it was a, l- a local number. John Paul has been inundated this morning with people saying that they're getting calls. The Emily Oh, Emily from Air is back. This is the recorded announcement. Somebody said, hi, Patricia, just had Emily on from Air. I was to press one to speak to an operator, just hung up. It's the second day of Emily. God, I thought they'd retired Emily and she got replaced by somebody else. Hang up straight away. Don't engage. Don't press one. Don't, you know, just ignore, ignore, ignore. Patricia, what is all the fuss about the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, writing to Kylie Minogue? Have we not got far more concerns to worry about, i.e. health and housing, etc. For goodness sake, we Irish are losing the run of ourselves, says Margaret. But you see, Margaret, I think that's the point. I think that's why people got upset with Leo taking the time out to write to Kylie, Kylie Minogue. People felt he should have more things to be concerned about rather than trying to hook up with somebody he idolises, Kylie Minogue. He should be more worried about housing and about health. And that's why people are critical of the letter uh, written by Leo Varadkar on headed paper from uh, Dáil And somebody else says the request that Leo Varadkar sent in is something a 12 year old would write, especially when he said, I'm a huge fan. If you'd heard Leo Varadkar's speech at the Ardesh, you would think there is no problem in this country. While we appear to be in dire straits in many situations, these people all politicians seem to be miles away from reality and the reason being they have never had to struggle. And that comes in from Anthony at uh, work. And we seem to have opened a can of worms. No, well, not a can of worms, but giving people the chance to have a vent when it comes to the local property tax and particularly local property tax when people who live in rural area areas. Uh, Bill says, Patricia, that woman who was talking about paying property tax and living in a rural area has absolutely nailed it. We get nothing from our local property tax, only another bill, says Pat. I'm sorry, Pat, I saw Bill at the end. <laughs> thought your name was Bill. Your name was Pat. Thank you for that. It's just local property tax comes in, it's another bill. And someone says, I was listening to your programme earlier about the local property tax. I'm also living in the countryside with no services of any kind we don't have street lights because we live in a rural area. We don't have footpaths, nothing. So I also ask the question and I join in the queue of other people that are shouting the same question. Why or oh why are we paying local property tax when we live in the countryside and uh, we don't get any services? Whereas when you're in the a town or in the city, you can at least say that you're getting something out of your local property tax. Again, I offer it by way of a good news story. It looks like it's not going to go up for this year, but that's not to say that the property tax is not going to go up up next year because if they wait until 2020, it will be seven years since your house was last valued for local property tax. It certainly is going to go up. Uh, 1850-333-103. John Paul, taking your calls. If you want to text or WhatsApp, you can 086 uh, to 103, 103 and yesterday when it was April Fools I was trying to remember a phrase that or a rhyme 
when we were kids that you were always told you had to stop April Fool's Day by 12 o'clock. You couldn't do any other joke after 12 or you would be the fool instead was was what I remember from my childhood. Hi Patricia, the rhyme that you were looking for yesterday about April Fool's Day goes like this. April's April Fool's is past and gone. You're the fool to carry it on. Up a ladder, down a tree. You're a big fool. You're a bigger fool than me. <laughs> yeah. Something similar to that was what I remember from my childhood as well. And just one other uh, mention that I want to give of someone who was suggesting about manners. There was a lovely text in, was this Joan in McCroom? It was. Joan in McCroom says, I had my mother-in-law living with us for about 18 years. So she lived in the house with us when my own children were growing up. And she used to always say, if any of them were leaving the table after a meal, she would always say to the children, what do you say before you leave the table? And the children would say, please may I leave the table or may I leave the table uh, please. We brought this on with our own children and now it's spanning three generations. It is a small thing but it is worth it for the manners. It is indeed and it's one of the reasons that I would always say to uh, anyone when they have children, young children make sure that you can get have a grandparent, grandmothers in particular but grandfathers can be great as well keep them involved in little ones lives one of the, one of the greatest things I think oh, the older generation passes on are manners and, and lovely manners and, and you will always know children that are heavily influenced by grandparents or are around grandparents a lot or like in Joan's case a grandparent might have lived uh, with them or they spend a lot of time with grandparents I guarantee you their manners will be perfect and I think it just comes from an older generation and a different time and they grew up I mean that granny would have grown up in an era where they never would have left the table without asking you know please may I leave the table and it's just a small simple thing to pass on uh, to children or the other one is the other one is elbows on the table that's another one that older people particularly don't uh, don't like and you'll see that children that have been raised inner inner grannies with the round grandmothers uh, a lot of the time will, will have very good table manners so well done Joan thank you for your text okay let's take a break and we are back uh, chatting with Joe Heffernan Nick Richards weekday afternoons from 1 C103 I think you're the first woman I've ever met who actually owns up to snoring loudly <laughs> yeah I do it's the Beautiful here in Cork, McSherry, every day of my life. I heard the sun shines all year round. Is that right? It does. Hi, Nick. Can I get a go at that question, Brian? Good afternoon, Nick. Uh, okay. Is there a difference between the ground and the floor? No, I'm just wondering. Getting like, very is detailed, man. Kind of, is, it, is it very cryptic, like, you know? Join me weekday afternoons from 1. C103. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Joe Heffernan joining us on this Tuesday afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, uh, And I've just mentioned that, I don't know whether it's a record has been sent today, but uh, John Paul has been inundated with people getting scam yeah. uh, calls. The yeah. I think it's the broadband one is doing the rounds. You got one. Yeah, but the, the big trouble now is that before you'd see 444487986 and you'd know, ah, here we go, you know? Scam call, yeah. Yeah, but this one, uh, three of them now, uh, just the local number here all start with 7-6. Yeah. And then there's like the one we're on now, 7-6-6-1-7. And they now have just a local number. And instead of a live person on this now, it's um, it's a recording about that your internet is being discontinued 
And uh, now it said like uh, press one mm. for information and one would be, I suppose, um, ring such a number uh, to do with your broadband. But the trouble is, we got one at 4am. Oh, no. Yeah, we got one at 8am. And we got one while ago at about uh, 10 o'clock. And these are to your landline? To the landline. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and I know you know before we have people saying oh she just take the phone off the hook that's all well and good if you are if you can do that but not everyone's in the position to take the phone off the hook particularly older people who are you know they need it for the pendant alarm they yeah. have to leave their phone uh, on the hook they can't take it off yeah very frustrating and are you, are you an air customer yeah there's nothing air can do isn't that off I know. No, yeah. I mean, they're doing the best. I mean, they are as frustrated by these scam artists as anybody else is. And they, they try and get on top of it. And then yeah, they're back off. They're back off again. And it's, you know, I keep saying to people, because people get worried that they're being targeted. They're not because they just, they they generate the numbers themselves. They're all computer generated. There isn't somebody sitting there dialing the number. Yeah. They're all computer generated. Don't think you're being targeted. You're yeah. not. Yeah. Everyone whose number starts with 7-6, there's a load of people getting calls uh, today. You know, they, they target different areas. But it's frustrating. 4am in the morning for the phone to ring. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as the home phone goes, um, what we'll do now to get a night's sleep and a bit of peace is um, we, we'll just take it off. Yeah. Um, yeah, but see, you're you're in a position you can do that because you've got you've got a you well you can use your mobile. Yeah. But you've you've got a son who's you know not very well. You don't you know you need to be in contact with people. I do indeed. Yeah. I do. Yeah. It's not fair. It's no, not fair. No, it's dreadful, and um, it's so frustrating. I mean, modern life. Um, God knows we've enough stresses in life without this carry on as well. You know. Yeah. Talking of your son, how is he doing? Pretty okay. Um, okay. He's going into work now. Um, he's on his oral chemo. Okay. Uh, fortnight on, fortnight off. He's just coming to the end now of his ninth uh, session of chemo. And uh, he's over to Tampa in Florida on the 12th of April for his next big review, checkup, um, PET scans, all that. Okay, so, so we're hoping for a little bit of positive okay, news. Okay, so thoughts and prayers for the 12th of April that he'll get good news. All right. Uh, Now, today we are looking at young people and depression because, unfortunately, there has been an alarming rise in the number of young people being diagnosed with depression. Absolutely. I mean, depression, the very word I would always have associated, as most of us would, with the older person, you know, any age but adults. But um, I read a really alarming article recently which pointed out that, would you believe it, one quarter of girls at 14 years old and one in 10 boys um, were showing signs of depression. Um, You know, for different, uh, there were different causes in it and we'll go through some of those. But um, there are things like, did you, you know, stress... um, body image issues, um, bullying, social media pressure. But this this was called the Millennium Cohort Study, and it surveyed 10,000 children. Now, it found that girls are more likely to suffer than boys, 
Um, and, uh, you know, lots of things came up, like changes in family life, maybe a separation, a divorce, uh, school issues, maybe even bullying in school, or uh, pressure in school, stress, uh, lots of friendships. Um, uh, and very often, um, these come up with, uh, especially teenagers, but, you know, they pass, um, there's a bit of downtime, there's an upset, maybe they talk to someone about it, but it passes. But with some, it doesn't, because they can actually be depressed. So what I was thinking and what we were talking about that we might do today would be, what would a parent look out for um, if they had, um, uh, you know, maybe... The warning signs. A warning sign. Yeah. 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 Uh, because I, I don't know if you were listening, I spoke yesterday with uh, Graham McCormack. He is a young mental health um, advocate and uh, public speaker. He's had three suicide attempts himself and he, he's come through it and he's on the other side. But he was talking about, he goes around and he talks in schools because obviously a lot of young people can identify because he was an MMA fighter and he's an MMA coach now. So a lot of young people can identify with him. But he was, when I asked him about that, the numbers suffering from depression, he was saying, yeah, it's hugely on the increase. And for him himself, he started self-harming when he was seven and he can pin it back to bullying. Shocking. Right. There you are. And um, he, he, what age did you say he could uh, trace it back to? Seven. My God. Seven years yeah. of age. He remembers being bullied in school and he would, God love him, he was bullied in school because he was a little bit on the heavy side. Right. And, you know, somebody picking on because he was fat. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. and that's what started it. Oh my God, Awful, yeah. awful. Mm. Okay, so uh, what are you suggesting parents look out for? Okay, well the first thing would be um, a lack of motivation or interest. Like, a sign it could it could be a sign of depression that like we'll say a person a young person starts to um you're a dismiss or care very little about say school grades and that um you know where before that well they they mightn't be the most um interesting thing in their lives but they'd be interested in keeping the grades up and uh seeming to not care anymore one of the biggies, of course, would be um, uh, showing very little interest or even um, giving up on hobbies that previously were enjoyed. You know, somebody was well into hurling or soccer or um, <coughs> taekwondo or whatever. And um, nah, they're not that interested anymore. They're not going. Um Another big thing in the um, the lack of motivation or interest uh, section, we'll say, would be uh, neglecting friendships, uh, not not going out with friends, not going out to see friends. Um, so that I suppose, in a nutshell, it would be for a parent to take note that where a child was enthusiastic about A or B or C, and they seem to have lost interest in a and B and C. Now, and, and we're not just talking about teenage moods where somebody will have a down day or, you know, a down period. We're talking about this would go on over a period of time. Yes, uh, 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 over a period of time and in combination with some of the other things that we might mention. Now, it, like, th- there's a little, a fair few of them there. Now, if 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 a kid was, t- if, if a parent w- was ticking like a lot of the boxes that we will mention 
Well, then, it might be um, time to, you know, have a gentle word about how things are going and all of that. That it mightn't be just what we'll all kind of pass off at times as the usual teenage stuff. It might be a little bit more than that. Like, the uh, another sign of it would be um, that I know teenagers can be tetchy and they can be... Um, you know, uh, oppositional and all that. But um, if 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 a child has become very what we'll call snappy, and if they're causing arguments like a lot more than you would have experienced with the child before, um, if there are sudden dislikes, we'll say it to something or someone. Um, uh, for for what might seem to be very little reason, um, well, that might be something to also consider. Um, so we'll say now that we would have mentioned two things, the lack of motivation or interest, um, the um, being irritable or tetchy an awful lot more than used to be. Um Maybe maybe friendships falling away on account of the person being, well, it could be either one or two. It could be the lack of motivation, or it could be that they've been, you know, very irritable with friends who might um, take uh, exception to that, and a friendship might be damaged or even end. Hmm. Yeah, and you'll know your own child. You'll you'll exactly. know the difference. Exactly. I and mean, then, and but you've then nailed it there now. That I mean, the the bottom line on it all would be um, big changes. Um, uh, you know, in 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 the usual uh, things that you would uh, know that your child was interested in. Uh, the 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 third one would be. Um, if they're showing uh, or expressing or uh, that you notice if, if, that they have feelings of hopelessness or helplessness. Now, how how would you recognize that? Well, it might be in things that they might say. Um, they might sort of say, there's nothing I can do about the grades in school. Um, you know, that's a kind of a helpless or hopeless statement. It's kind of like... There's nothing I can do about it. Um, uh, you know, uh, it wouldn't be, I'll, I'll do such a thing to improve that. It would be, look, there's nothing I can do. Um, uh, yeah, I know we're, I, I don't know whether it's happening tomorrow or not. We're trying to get onto the Samaritans this week because they're um, talking, their numbers are out, their increased number yeah, of calls yeah. and, and and thankfully they have agreed, they, all the, the telecom companies have agreed yeah. to continue with the free phone service, which is fantastic. But I was reading a report out from the Samaritans that was saying the increased number of calls from young people around the Leaving Cert around both the exams and the results. Yeah. And you're thinking if you could only get that message through to young people that exams are not the be-all and end-all. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and that, um, you know, uh, lots of people who left school early, I'm not recommending it, not by a long chalk, but a lot of people who did got on extremely well in life. Um, I remember hearing people who were very prominent in Irish political life and... Uh, European affairs and all that, and I, I'd be kind of astounded <clears throat> when I'd hear that, um, 
you know, that they had packed up at what was then the intercept and uh, and got on extremely well. And some people who only barely scrape a pass in the leaving cert might be doing better than somebody with, like, more degrees than a thermometer um, at, at this stage of life. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a very individualistic thing. And um, I've noticed recently that to do with degrees and all that, that... Um, uh, the 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 bar has risen so high, uh, like um, people with a primary degree now will hardly get an interview. Um, it's like there's twenty people with a master's degree, or there's yeah. One but or isn't two there some some statistic about sixty percent of people end up in a job that's got nothing at all to do with the degree that they did? Absolutely. That's that's a, an absolute fact. And there are a lot of jobs out there that you don't always need a degree for. No, indeed. Is, you know what I mean? And a lot of people work their way up through. That it still is possible to do that. Absolutely. You can work, you can work your way. Without question or doubt. And um, I would imagine that in the coming years that um, uh, apprenticeships will will gain. Um, well, they're starting already because they they, they need more apprentices. Yeah. More people are. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are, so are everyone doesn't have to go to university. Yeah. There's, there's, I mean, a, there's a place for ev- everyone somewhere. Absolutely, yeah. and some of the people okay, who don't so, go at all get on very well. So if you notice your child and, and you are worried and, you know, some of the things we've been talking about today, GP, the first port of call? GP, first port of call and um, uh, very possibly um, a referral on uh, to the likes of um, counsellors, psychotherapists, um, because, uh, you know, GPs, um, we're hearing more and more and more about it. The GPs' waiting rooms are um, jam-packed. And, um, I mean, a GP cannot spend an hour with each uh, person that comes in or there'd be people in the waiting room for two or three days. Um so that, like, uh, yeah, a referral line ca- can be very helpful. Um, the the fourth of our little list there would be um, an obvious lack of self-esteem. Um, if if a kid, especially maybe, um, yeah, if a child is, like, worrying, worrying about their appearance, um, you know, changing their clothes about twice or three times a yeah, day. Yeah, never happy with the way, with the way they look. Never happy with the way they look. Okay, um, and obviously you, you'll be looking out for things like lack of appetite and not sleeping uh, um, uh, properly and yeah. getting little or no enjoyment out of yeah. life. Okay, I've got to leave it there. We're over on time. Uh, Joe, we'll talk again next week. Okay, Thanks for that. Uh, have a good week. Uh, 029-766-17 is Joe's number if you need to contact him. CUH, we got their statement in the emergency department of Cork University Hospital currently experiencing severe congestion over the last 24, 48 hours due to increased patient attendees management at the CUH is implementing additional measures to address the situation but they don't tell us what the additional measures uh, are and obviously they're encouraging people to go to the GP and uh, uh, to South Dockham to avoid the hospital if at all possible that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara talk tomorrow at 10 Hi Martina here join me every weekday from 4 to 7 for drive time where I'll keep you up to date on all the latest traffic information we'll spread some positivity with our feel good story and song of the day And of course, we'll be serving up a generous portion of Cork's greatest hits. C-103. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. 
That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.